Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Gig Money Podcast. We talk to musicians about the side hustles that they use to fund their musical ambitions. I am Cody. And I'm Andrew. And today, our guest on the podcast (laughs) is none other than Miles (laughs) Kleborn. Miles Kleborn. Nice to meet Uh, you, guys. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming on the show. We definitely, uh, we definitely appreciate you coming on and uh, talking with us about uh, the side hustles that you do to keep yourself on the road. So um, I know that uh, you've been with Saul. You are the drummer for Saul, and you've been with them for uh, a couple of years. But Andrew and I were talking about it before the show, and we'd like to lo- know a little bit more about the history there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so kind of flashback to 2018, I moved from Columbus, Ohio, down to Kansas City, Missouri. Um, I was living there. I was playing in a band at the time called Renegades. Um, and we actually were going on a tour with a band from out in New Jersey called Inventure. And hilariously enough, Saul came down and were our, they were our direct support in KC, like on the kickoff show for that tour. And so like, we did the tour, you know, it was all fun and games. So we, the band breaks up like six months later. Uh, <laughs> as bands do. Um, but about, I think it was about a year later than that. Uh, I get hit up from Zach and then Blake. And then their former manager, like all within like a span of five minutes. And they were like, Hey, what are you doing? Are you still playing drums? Cause I was posting a bunch of guitar videos at that point. Um, I was like, yeah, I'm just not playing in the band right now. And they were like, well, you're in luck cause we need a drummer. And <laughs> I was like, Oh, okay. So they had me come up an audition. Um, and it was supposed to be for the hell yeah. And all that remains tour that was in 2020, uh, in April, I believe it was. And that got, canned as soon as covid and kind of uh went went rampant across the nation (laughs) but uh yeah that was i mean that was a good time we kind of we hit it off at the show that we that they came down and were direct support for and we were talking about their gear because they they straight up came down and wiped the floor with every band that played that night (laughs) (laughs) they came in they had all you know they had their racks set up they were like they weren't coming down basically like as direct support they were like no like we're here to like throw down like mm-hmm. came with their full lighting rig and everything. And we were just kind of like, what the heck? We're going to follow that. <laughs> yes. Consummate so, professionals. Yeah. And that's like, that was one of the things that drew me to the band. I was just like, dude, these guys are working at a level that I want to be at. And that, mm-hmm. that kind of, that, that, uh, that hit me. I was just like, that's, that's what we should be doing. You know, that's how we should be like conducting ourselves at shows for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the funny thing is that, uh, my knowledge of the band Saul starts with playing a show with them several years ago. And the band I was in at the time had a show the next weekend. And so we didn't want to oversaturate. We wanted to do something interesting and unique and something that might draw some people out because we got the show offer uh, to open up for them in Salt Lake City. Mm -hmm. And we listened to them like, these guys are awesome. And we would like to be on the show. We just want to make sure that we give everybody a reason to come out. That's not like, hey, you're going to see us next weekend anyways. So we decided that we were going to uh, stuff a set with cover songs, mostly um, Bullet for My Valentine. And then collectively, we were all going to throw on the most ridiculous 80s uh, costumes that we could find, including wigs. As bands do. As bands do. Nice. And we marketed it as mullet for my Valentine. 
<laughs> and I, yeah, I was really, oh. really just, we were really just trying to get the more, most people out to that show. It was on a Sunday night in Utah of all places mm-hmm. where, you know, it's, it's got a very religious state. So we were just trying mm-hmm. to bring people out and have a good time and, you know, do something fun. And that was my introduction to them. And they showed up and just like you said, they blew everybody away with their professionalism, with their gear and the way they presented themselves and their merch setup and everything. It was just mm-hmm. very in- inspiring to me. So I've been following the Bedsall guys since then. And man, it's, it's, it's incredible what uh, they and you have uh, accomplished together. So yeah. Awesome. Um, Thank you. And you, yeah, I'm, you guys I'm very have, proud. uh, you guys have some stuff coming up, right? I know you are right in between the legs. Yeah. Here with red, which is a great place to be. Yeah. <laughs> As bands do. As As bands bands do. do. <laughs> no, um, yeah, no, we, uh, we were on the road with red, had the first leg in September. Um, that was our kind of like our first run with the guys. First time meeting the guys. Um, that run was incredible. Uh, all the shows were pretty, pretty well packed. So we uh, we had a great time with that. We had had great great shows every night, great merch shows every night. Um, and so yeah, we were taking this month to just kind of chill out, get some work done, hang out, and then we're back out with them again on the third, I believe, and we go until uh, the eighteenth or nineteenth of next month. Yeah, I know. I'm definitely catching the Dallas portion of that show, um, that tour. So yes, um, looking perfect. forward to that. So you know, any anybody that's listening, definitely make it out to one of those shows. You will not be disappointed and. Um, you, you, this is the, you know, you're right in between the legs as, as Mm -hmm. you say, uh, you, you probably gotten pretty close with, uh, some of the guys in the crew on that, uh, particular tour package. So, um, it's interesting because another musician that was coming up with Andrew and I in the Salt Lake city music scene was Brian Medeiros and he did a lot of uh, really interesting stuff, but now he's the drummer for red. So. Yeah. Awesome guy, man. He is just, he's oh, the coolest guy. And yeah. So uh, I was nice, interested. The nicest dude. Yeah. So I was interested to hear a little bit about uh, your experiences with him just, you know, as a mutual acquaintance. That's pretty cool. Yeah, no, like it was, it was awesome. Like he was like from day one, just the most stand up awesome guy. Um, he was always like super accommodating. Like if we were just like, Hey, like, is it cool for you to use the shower in the room? Like, oh yeah, dude, no, go ahead. You're good. Go for it. As long as we're not in there, obviously. Like, yeah, so, so that was pretty cool. Um, and then like he didn't have a drum tech for this tour. And so like it was it was uh it was kind of humbling to see, you know, like you know, they're all up in a prevost and everything, but then like they're the ones setting all their gear up, you know, they're all literally they're all in there from the start. So that was that was really awesome to see, and I was just like, wow, like not everybody goes out and hires 15 crew members for a tour, <laughs> you know? So that was, that was kind of awesome to be like, yo, like these guys are, these guys are like way above us, but they still, you know, have that, those roots as far as we still like to keep our hands on our own stuff pretty much. So that was cool. Yeah. Kind of watching, getting to watch all that and all that unfold and then just kind of getting the bro down with, uh, with the guys. And in particular, like, you know, drummer to drummer was always cool. <laughs> Like we just take turns watching each other most nights. So, and he got he got sick there for a little bit halfway through the run. I think it was just kind of like the changing, constantly changing climate. They haven't toured in a while, so I'm sure that was kind of a shock to the system a bit. But they, I mean, regardless, they threw down every single night. So, like, 
it was awesome. I had a great time. Nice. Nice. Yeah. That's, that's great to hear. I definitely have uh, lots of respect for, for them. And, uh, I think it's interesting, like you said, that they didn't have a, a fully stocked kind of crew to, you know, go through a tour of that size and mm-hmm. it, it, who knows what the reason behind that might be. But I imagine those guys all have side hustles of their own that they have to work just to, you know, kind of keep paying the bills and doing, doing what they want to do, making that music, playing the shows. I'm guessing so. I honestly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know. We didn't really talk too much about life off of the road. <laughs> Besides, um, well, they did, they did have a guitar tech, um, an LD and, and a front of house guy. Um, so they did have all those, but like even the guitar tech, the only thing me and him talked about most of the time was just motorcycles. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That is, that is something that we can discuss because Andrew is uh, a bit of a, uh, aficionado himself. A bit of an enthusiast. Yes. A bit yeah. of an enthusiast. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Miles, you just, you just got your first, your first bike or. Yep. First bike, first, first bike ever <laughs> that I'm currently mm-hmm. still fixing. All right. Tell us a little <laughs> bit about it. And Andrew, try not to drool on your microphone too much. Oh, uh, he's not going to drool over this one. It's just a, uh, <laughs> it was a stock, stock Harley Davidson Iron 883. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. So the only thing that's not stock, well, it's not stock anymore. Like I, uh, the, the pipes are now like some, uh, they have some high shorties that sound really good. Yeah. Um, switched out the bars from eight inch risers to 10 inch risers, uh, changed out the, the clutch cables, throttle cables, foot pegs, shifters, rear brake pedal, all that stuff. So next, I just want to change out the seat because that stock seat is uncomfortable. Yes. Yes, they are. Yeah, I've got a 2007 Road King that's uh, it's a lot of fun, and it's rather customized. I, I, mm-hmm. I tore down all the tins and had it all painted all nice. Got to have flames on everything. You know, it makes it faster. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's horse Absolutely. That's Andrew was telling me earlier. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it faster. Andrew was makes telling me earlier about how uh, he has to manage his beard while he's riding, and it changes depending on uh, you, you know which one of his... <laughs> Harley's that he's riding on. So yes, you were if, saying, if, I'm, if, if I'm riding without a, a, a windshield, this is what it does. And it's mm-hmm. fine when it does this. Right. But if I'm riding mm-hmm. with the windshield, it does this the entire time. <laughs> and it's, it's <laughs> really hard. Good. Yeah. It's really mm-hmm. hard to look like you're really, you know, like, like you're a tough guy when you're trying with not to sneeze. Cause you've got hair going in your nose and stuff. <laughs> So you're just so, riding oh and you're gosh. like. <laughs> so, so for everybody, everybody oh, listening and uh, not, not watching, um, uh, when Andrew rides without a windshield, his beard, which is all the way down to his belt, goes behind his head off to the sides. And it looks really when, cool. It, yeah. And when you're riding with a windshield, it goes directly into his face. Yes. So you can imagine how crazy that much beard can be when you're trying to drive down the interstate and you know, you have a face full of beard. The cool thing Great about it is it's the it opposite was. way. It looks like a beard cape, like you know, a superhero. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. But uh yeah. Oh man. I've got a buddy of mine that's got a really long beard that he braids, and whenever he rides, he actually unzips his jacket and tucks it into his jacket. <laughs> Sometimes so that you do that. <laughs> like even if I, when I, when I do have the windshield on and I have to, you know, 
somehow handle this thing, put it in a way that it's more manageable. That does mm-hmm. happen where I have to just stuff it in a shirt or in a jacket or something, because the little wispies, a lot of people don't think about, you know, cause your beard isn't mm-hmm. all one length. There's the little ones and those little ones are even the worst ones. Cause they get like right at the end of your nose and mm-hmm. they just start tickling and you're just like, Oh, stop it. Oh, stop it. You know? <laughs> you're teasing me, you know, <laughs> it's just, Oh man. Okay. Yep. I think I just divulged way too much information about myself. <laughs> Belly laughing all the way down the freeway from being nose tickled by your beard hairs. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's really hard to look like a tough man when you're being tickled by your nose. You know, I, you know, I do have a story though about drum techs. Um, and I know this takes us back just a little bit, but, uh, I was working security for a, it was a, a country jam thing. I don't like country bands. So they put me in the backstage area. So, you know, hopefully I, I wouldn't have to hear it and be subjected to that torture. So <laughs> This guy, um, he's the drummer for Sugarland, or he was the drummer for Sugarland, right? And mm-hmm. he pushes his set because it's on a riser with wheels. He pushes his set off the, the stage and kind of over by me. And I'm looking at him and he's got like all these like skulls and like zombies, tattoos all over his arms and everything. And I'm all, you know, you don't look like a typical country Western drummer. And he's like, no, he's this, uh, he's, I like metal. I like rock. He says, but you want to make money. You got to go to Nashville. And I'm like, okay, yep. well that's, that's pretty cool. And then I'm watching him and he's tearing his drums down. And I'm thinking, you know, for a band of that caliber, why is he doing that himself? So I asked him, I says, Hey, just out of curiosity, don't you have a guy that does that for you? And he's all, yeah, I do. He says, I fired him. I'm like, okay, why? And he says, what's a custom kid? It's a completely custom kit. And he says, it has to get all put away. And one of the pieces didn't get put away. And it was a very important part of my drum set. And he says, that next show that we had, when I go, when we went to go find that part, put my drum kit together, it wasn't there. And he says, it made him angry. So he's like, I, if I need to be angry at somebody, it's going to be at myself. So that therefore I do it myself. So yep. they actually had to go to a blacksmith, like a local blacksmith in the area for them to make something for him to use on his drum set for that night. Wow. And he was like, and it's that piece right there. I was like, <laughs> looks so like it belongs on the kit. Local blacksmith with a touring in ancient England or something. Oh, there is a Slovakia. <laughs> <laughs> Like, oh, you're awake. <laughs> Freaking Skyrim. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, I just man. actually Either young completed. Man. How shall <laughs> I help you today in your quest? Side quest, yeah. <laughs> took an arrow to the knee. I got a side quest for that day. <laughs> oh, oh, man, man. that's so, great. That, that, sorry, that was my oh. story about drums. So. Yeah, no, he's got a really good point there. Like, um, you know, remember the band Siler? Yes. So Cody Ash, who was the former drummer for Siler, plays drums for Jelly Roll now. Okay. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And I believe Pablo from Chelsea Grin's also out playing with a country artist right now. So. Uh, yeah, Pablo Pablo is a SLC Utah native just like us. And yep. uh, actually yep. did uh, record a few songs with him in a previous band of mine. He's awesome guy. Dang. And yeah, I mean, you, you got to go where the money is and that's... <laughs> That's uh that's why we're here. We're talking about musicians and how they got to make that money. 
to survive, even if you got to play There's drums in a country band. Uh, There's also another guy from Chelsea Grin who, uh, so, so they are a Utah band or they, they, they were formed in Utah, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a guy that is in Chelsea Grin and we'll probably interview him on a future episode, but he actually cleans those Prevos, those buses oh. in between gigs, in between shows. So I thought that was kind of interesting because um, my boy works at that place and he fixes the the Prevos. He does, um, they call them coach maintenance, right? Mm-hmm. So he does all this coach maintenance and I was telling him about what we're doing here with the side hustles. And he's like, yeah, there's a guy from Chelsea grin who comes over and cleans the buses. I'm all cool. Got to make that money somehow. So, you know, speaking of which miles, what, uh, what are you doing these days to uh, keep paying your bills so that you can stay out on the road? So my main gig is music and my side gig is music. So, <laughs> like you, I mean, you're familiar with my side gig. Well, actually, technically, Saul would be my side gig at the moment because it's um, it's much less frequent um, than what I do when I'm home, which is where I'm at currently. Um, so my main gig is just you know writing and recording, um, vocal features, drum programming, drum editing, mixing and mastering, all that stuff. So I do all of that whenever I'm at home, and then whenever Saul gets the call, I go out on the road and tour. You, you've definitely worked yourself into that position though over many years and I've seen it. You are a hardworking guy. And for anybody who's not familiar, uh, Miles is actually, uh, the vocalist on all of the gray marsh recordings. Um, except for one feature from our buddy, Brandon Johnson, uh, who will be on the podcast pretty soon. So that episode is coming up quick, but yeah, I, I just commend you on, working so hard and just being so good at your craft that you can make music your full-time gig. That's yeah. A lot of people don't get to that point, but I know, I know you have the talent and the drive to do it. So, you know, that's why we wanted to have you on. Talk (laughs) about that. Talk about how uh, any aspiring musicians out there might be able to get to that point where they can just do music for a living. Cause that's the dream, right? Yeah, no, that's definitely the dream. And, uh, I mean, it's honestly, it's, it's, it's presented a lot more, uh, roadblocks so far than, uh, advantages, but like, you don't, you don't do this because it's going to be easy, you know? So, I mean, like, like the saying goes, nothing worth doing is easy. Um, but so like, yeah, there's, there's been issues, there's been problems, there's been, you know, hiccups here and there, but at the end of the day, I still get to wake up and start my day playing Call of Duty and then just meander into the studio and work on music. (laughs) Excellent. So, Call of excellent. Duty music. Yeah. <laughs> Call of Duty music and Chinese food from DoorDash is usually what my day usually looks like. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that sounds that sounds like a pretty good day. But it wasn't yeah, always yeah. that way. It wasn't no. always music and having a somewhat normal life, DoorDashing food and enjoying your mornings. Uh, what, what are some of the side hustles that you have done in the past? So prior to, so I didn't really even start doing music full time until I joined Saul. Uh, just cause I realized with the amount of touring that we were doing, I couldn't have a stable job at home. Nobody was going to be like, yeah, you can go ahead and leave for a month and come back whenever you're ready. Like, unless you have, you know, years on that job that they, like, they know you. Um, and so 
for a long time there, I was just kind of going off and on with Amazon. Um, like I'd, I'd apply because like they don't even care about interviews or anything like that. Like they really don't look at your resume. They're just like, do you have a pulse? Yeah. All right. Do all your limbs work? Yep. All right. Here you go. You're good to go. So like that's that was just like I I'd like get to the last like two weeks of tour, and then I'd jump on. I'd put an application in for Amazon so that by the time I got back, I'd have like three days, and then I would go in for my first day, and I'd have to go through all the training all over again. But then I would do that for you know a couple months until the next tour came around. Um, then I moved out here, and then I was driving for Amazon for a little while. So I was doing that, and then it's, it's been a, it was a lot of warehouses. Um, worked for a, an alcohol distributor, which was probably my favorite job ever. If I ever oh, move back to Kansas City, I'm gonna do that again because we had um, we had what was called Free Pilot Fridays, which was everything <laughs> that got sent back from the stores that we distributed to. And they were like, "Well, we can't put this back out on the shelves, so take a okay. pick." And I would just go home with like three cases of whatever I wanted that weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Nice, man. I could save so much money. Perks. I know, perks right? right there. Yeah, I'm just like, dude, I, I got introduced to so many different beers and like drafts and like some really some really awesome kind of like IPAs. And I was just like, this is this is the life. This is nice here. <laughs> and then you'd have those days where people would drop a whole case of fireball on the floor and you'd be mopping for six hours. Oh yeah, that shit's sticky. Yeah. <laughs> Role play smelling like cinnamon. <laughs> yeah. but no like it was, it was literally a lot of warehouse jobs um i drove for doordash for a little bit did uber eats when i was in kansas city um then when i moved back to ohio um about 2021 20, i moved back to ohio and that was kind of when i started doing the studio thing like trying to start doing it full time because i was just i my main thing was i just got sick and tired of constantly starting new jobs it just got it got annoying you know like it was like it was like i was moving to a new city every time i came back from tour basically so i was like going to a different job every single time and meeting new people and just being like yeah i'm not gonna be here long i'm just passing through you know to where like i do this and i'm just like if i write music and i you know program and i do this i can pack essentially my entire job up into a laptop and interface a guitar and a set of headphones and just go you know, like I can do this from the road. I can, I can like when when I moved into my apartment, my studio was the first thing I set up. Cause I'm just like, I can just put my mattress on the floor in there, and I can just come in here and make money to get my apartment moved into while I'm waiting on everything else to happen. And so that just this 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 whole thing kind of came in that uh, you mean you know the the movie The Dark Knight, of course, Heath Ledger. I'm not familiar. What is this? Oh yes, yes. <laughs> oh you, oh, right. you. Right. <laughs> No, but like, as he says, man, if you're good at something, never do it for free. And I was just like, I'm sitting here writing music. And I was like, I had like a catalog of, I think of like 40, 40 tracks that I had just randomly written instrumentals for. And when COVID hit, I was like, eh, hey, I've been writing all these songs. And I remember someone hit me up and they were like, hey, can I buy that from you? And I went, excuse me? And they're like, yeah, I'll give you like 200 bucks for that track right now. And I was just like okay yeah please that's cool and like that was kind of like my moment <laughs> and i was like people do this like this is this is a normal thing for you know producers to to put these tracks together and just send off the stems and like all right do what you want to do with it it's your song now and that kind of like 
kind of spiraled into what is now Vigilante Productions. So, like, this is, like, everything that's in here has been, like, even down to the apartment has been afforded from what I do sitting at this desk. This is crazy to me. Absolutely crazy so, to me. Just, just a, out of curiosity, when you move from one city to another, what's the farthest ways away that you've moved? Like, from, say, Ohio to Florida? Like, like well, what's the farthest? Kansas City. Kansas City. How many miles was that? Move, yeah. Uh, I want to say about 640 or something like that. But it's you're about, only a, one miles. Yeah, I'm just, there's just one of me. <laughs> <laughs> At least your no, name I, isn't kilometers, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's my, that's my British brother. Actually. That's your British brother. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, I'm Midwestern, man. I, me, I measure everything in hours, you know? It's like, oh, oh it's hours, time. okay. It's a you ten ever, and a half you, hour drive. <laughs> you know, it's the same thing for for us here. We don't go by mm-hmm. miles; we go by how long it takes you to get there. But have you ever heard of the king that was only twelve inches tall? Mm. He, he was a terrible king, but he was a great ruler. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where that comes from, huh? When Lily gets here, I'm telling her that, and she's going to scowl. (laughs) She's going to scowl, and it's going to be hilarious. Andrew's got the dad here for. I I live for those (laughs) moments. Oh man! And now you have delineated the entire like history of the imperial system of measurement. (laughs) (laughs) And that's it. Just just out of curiosity, what is your first child's name going to be? My first child's name. Nah, centimeters. <laughs> Going metric. I can appreciate that. Just get with the rest of the world. <laughs> mm. I might just uh, name him Celsius. <laughs> Go with another yeah. unit of measurement. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. That was just something that was there. And I had to exploit it and I had to go with it. I appreciate that so much. <laughs> yeah, that's like why we pay on. Andrew the big bucks. It, that's that's his side hustle. His dad jokes. <laughs> yeah, it's a good side hustle to have. Yes, yes, it pays really well. Mm. <laughs> no, it doesn't. The benefits, not as much as it should, but there are benefits. There, there are, are perks. benefits. <laughs> the, the scowls and the angry looks you get from some people—that mm-hmm. is priceless. Oh, it's this. Yeah, that that would be the best. The people it. who don't want to admit that they're laughing on the inside. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> they're only mad because they didn't think of it. <laughs> right. What is the, uh, the the end game here? What are they going to say? Oh, terrible ruler or terrible king, <laughs> great ruler. We're going to be thinking about that on the drive home. Just, <laughs> God, I should have thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Okay, ones. sorry, carry on. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right. So um, you know, I am interested because uh um you you mentioned uh you know working for Amazon, working for DoorDash, a couple of things where you don't need a whole lot of training to just kind of jump into and you can jump in and out of it uh, as you need to right. um for touring. Uh do you have any like stories from any of those that are just like this is a terrible, terrible side hustle. I know we'll never do this again. 
Ooh. Huh. Honestly, like, I haven't really done a job where I've been like, this is absolutely garbage. Um, so, Rogue Fitness, Columbus, Ohio. Um, not that it was a terrible, like, a side hustle. It was a good idea for a side hustle, and I got jacked while I was there. Because my, my only job, this is, this is why it was terrible. My only job for 10 hours a day was packaging 45-pound plates. So it was just 10 hours to just lift that up, put it in a box, wrap that box, push it on the line. I was literally lifting for 10 hours a day. <laughs> so it was, it, was, it, was, it was good in that sense, but, like, I didn't want to do anything when I came home. You know, like, I would get off my shift, and I would come home, I would eat, and I'd go shower and go right to bed. I didn't have any kind of a personal life because I just didn't feel like I would – I just didn't want to. You know, my my body was just destroyed at the end of the day. <laughs> so I was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm good on doing anything else. I'm going to lay down, I'm going to pass out, I'm going to watch an episode of The Office, and then I'm just going to zog. Yeah, anything like that it definitely takes – it takes a toll on you and it's very hard to do anything beyond that. I've been in jobs where I've been working 12 hour shifts in a very labor intensive, you know, kind of field. And mm-hmm. it doesn't do well if you want to uh, go out and play a show that same night or something, you know, you're just a local show. Yeah. To, ooh, it's, it's terrible. Yeah. And that's then, not a good you know, time. Get up at 5am the next day and do it all over again. Mm-hmm. So actually but, I got okay. one that tops that. I do have one that oh. tops that. I uh, worked for a company called Labor Ready, who is just like, they're just kind of like, they you, you show up in the morning and they just send you out to a job site. And one day they sent me out to work for waste management. So I got to ride on the back of a garbage truck all day. And that, I came home with maggots in my shoes. Mm. So, newfound like respect. It, it was garbage. Like literally, it was garbage. <laughs> Rubbish. No, literally, I just that that one day on the job gave me like a new respect for for trash guys. And I was just like, I will never do this again. So it was literally a trash job. Yeah, that's terrible. So that would be your worst experiences. What about best experiences on a side hustle? We'll say best we'll say pre production, like any before you got into the production and and uh instrumentation realm your best mm-hmm. experience in one of those side hustles promo west um it's a production company back in ohio and that's pretty it was just i was just stagehand you know worked worked the big shows and i mean that's how i met 21 pilots the 1975 alice cooper and it was just it was and it wasn't even just like hey you guys get to meet the band it was just like in passing like I was sitting there packing something up backstage and this guy walks up, Hey, can you hand me that hat? And I turn around and it's Alice Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh yeah, yeah man. Here you go. <laughs> like, literally, I'm just like sitting there, just like gloves and shorts, just passing him a top hat. <laughs> was, were you guys in Milwaukee at the time? <laughs> or as the Algonquins call it, Milwaukee. Milwaukee. <laughs> no, no, that was, that was just straight up Columbus. Uh, and I did that for, I was doing that for three years, but I mean, that was before, uh, that was before I started doing, you know, the Saul thing. That was when I was still playing in local bands in Columbus, but I had my Amazon job like during the day. And then I would go work those promo West gigs, like on the weekends just for extra cash. And it was, it was garbage pay. Like it was trash pay, but I was like, 
I'm still working in the industry, you know, I'm shaking hands with these other people in the industry. And it was like, for me, that was kind of just like, this gives me a chance to like shadow the LDs, you know, the guitar techs, the drum techs, and like get to know how they do it. And I'm just like, if I talk to enough of these people, maybe at one point they'll be like, I remember that guy from Columbus. I've got his number. We can bring him out because he knows what we're doing. And that was kind of like my mindset with that. Because <laughs> I was just trying to like, I was like, if I can't play in a professional sense yet, at least I could go work in one and like, you know, build myself Create up that networking. way. Networking. Yeah. Networking, Absolutely. networking, networking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. And I think uh, a lot of uh, the larger cities have like unions uh, that you can get on uh, the roster of and, um, you know, have these uh, stagehand jobs and get yourself mm-hmm. kind of into the industry. And I, I know of a couple of people who have used that as a side hustle and it, has become a little bit something more than that. And they realize, you know, I don't like performing so much as helping the people that do and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, kind of figuring out your, your, your spots where you fit in the best and what you really enjoy doing the most. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah. So I think, uh, anybody listening that might be interested in getting into, you know, doing stagehand kind of work in your local venues, definitely look into it because that's, that's a good way that, pay might not be great but the networking opportunity is yeah. where it's at so that's definitely yeah. definitely great advice no one and does stage hand work because they like the money <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true yeah um we were just talking with uh brandon johnson of late night savior he he, he, he works at a venue in salt lake city uh the depot and he's the oh, stage yeah. manager he's the stage manager there but while he's on tour you know um, they, they're very, very gracious and allow him to go on tour and they actually take what he learns from going out on tour and apply it to their specific venue and what, what they can do to improve, you know, for the audience or for the artists and just make it a better experience all around. And, you know, I think that's, that's really cool. And he wouldn't have gotten there if he hadn't started from being a stagehand, working his way all the way up to the stage manager. So yeah, definitely good thing to look into, I think. So, yeah. Definitely. Andrew, you got some more dad jokes for us? <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually, I was thinking about it. You guys, you were talking about... Um, He's always uh, got one primed what, and ready. I, I did, but I was like, we were on a roll and I didn't want to stop right in the middle of it. <laughs> but you were talking about, you know, like being a stagehand and, you know, a lot of hand things. And I was like... You ever hear about the blind prostitute? You had to hand it to her. <laughs> it was all hands on deck with that one. <laughs> I said deck. Was her name Handria? <laughs> Different did, Pamela Henderson. Did you hear Pamela about Henderson. the prostitute? <laughs> That's good. Did you hear did you hear about the prostitute? that had one leg that was shorter than the other. Her name was Eileen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You need to set aside a second podcast that's just like the collection of dad jokes. Uh, yeah, you heard about that's... the cow with no legs. Yeah, it's ground beef. You guys are just giving me ammunition. I'm just going <laughs> to sprinkle these over the evening. <laughs> it's, 
tomorrow you're going to roll out of bed and do what you do and just bam, shotgun <laughs> blast of dad jokes out into the world. Yes. Excellent. Yes. <laughs> uh, Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Yes. Oh, what so, will we uh, call our first child? <laughs> Celsius. <laughs> Not centigrade. Yeah, that um, was what was in my mind when you guys were talking, and I was just like, I, I can't, I can't <laughs> stop it for that. But hopefully, there will be a spot where I can be like, you remember when we were talking about that ten minutes ago? Yeah, this is what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta, you gotta find a way to mix it in there somewhere. Mm, gotta <laughs> hand it to her. That's I've, got, I've got, I've got, I've got one for you. This is going to be the only one I gave you for this for this whole segment, but um, it's more of a statement than a joke. <clears throat> to the man in the wheelchair that stole my camo jacket, you can hide, but you can't run. <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's like my perfect. cousin, man. My cousin stole my antidepressants. <laughs> I hope he's happy oh. now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I've heard that's like, I've heard that one before. That's a really good one. That's a really there's there's these two dudes on TikTok that I follow that like put out these like awesome dad jokes all the time, and I'm just like I live for it. It's the sad thing is, is I know the like majority of them just because it's my thing. You know, it's just what mm-hmm. I do. So, yep, he's doing the research <laughs> every single day. I do the research, and sometimes it just happens on accident, like. I took my boy over to help dig out a car, right? Um, it snowed mm-hmm. really hard the night before. And uh, the person we were helping dig out was like, I'm so sorry that you're, you know, out here doing this for me. And I was like, no, nah, it's cool. He digs it. He <laughs> <laughs> was probably just like, dad. <laughs> that's exactly what he was like. But the other guy was rolling. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the important mm-hmm. part. <laughs> yeah, that's what, make, that, that's, that's what matters. Yeah, you yes. just gotta keep on rolling, baby. <laughs> just keep on rolling, baby. <laughs> All right. Okay, oh. so uh yeah, I I uh something that we ask a lot of people and that I'm curious about because of your touring experience, um, what is the craziest thing that has ever happened to you while on tour? The craziest tour experience. Ooh. Gosh, there have been plenty of crazy tour experiences. Oh, oh, well, on this recent tour, uh, we almost died. So there was that was pretty crazy. Uh, we were driving from Ohio to Pittsburgh, and we were cut. We were coming through Zanesville, Ohio, on the highway, and we were coming around this turn in the left lane, and there was this white van that just was on their phone or something because they didn't even take the curve; they just right into the side of our bus. And Zach is such an incredible driver because our, our trailer went almost sideways at 65 miles an hour. Oof. It threw, it threw our, our, um, our photographer out of the bunk, rolled me out of my bunk. And like Zach, I don't know, to this day, I don't know how he saved it. Cause I was laying in my bunk when it happened in the back and didn't see anything. I just kind of felt it. And he was able to pull it. We pulled off the road. We had like this tiny little piece missing off of our, uh, it like thankfully didn't do much damage to us. But the other guy's messed up, I'm sure. But he took off mm. after, after he hit us, just, just gunned it down the, down the freeway. Um, 
But to commemorate that, we all got tattoos. So if you see right here, (laughs) we all have that bus and we all have that van. And so, like, (laughs) we were all, like, messing around, like, just walking up to you, like, have you seen this van? Looks like this. (laughs) And there's actually, I don't know if you can see it. There's like a little, like a little chunk missing out of the front. It's <laughs> uh, the detail. That was kind of a, yeah, literally. We just, we were just like, we all need to. We were like, well, we need to get a tour tattoo to remember this tour. And when that happened, like a few days later, we were just like, we know what we're gonna get. Yeah, that's, so a, that's definitely quite a definitely harrowing experience. To go. There's yeah. nothing like yeah, being in a tour bus and having some sort of shit like that go down. It's it's insane, especially, oh, you know, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's like flat tires and stuff like that that happen all of the time mm-hmm. that you just kind of have to roll with and, or not roll with mm-hmm. and get replaced before you can roll again. Andrew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, how do you roll with a flat tire? <laughs> it's like, uh, it's okay though. Pretty, I got good news yeah. and bad news. Only the bottom half is flat. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, getting a flat tire on the road is a pretty deflating thing to happen. Oh, right. Yes. Gravity, what a downer. <laughs> what a downer. Um, I'll, give you, I'll give you a bonus a bonus story real quick. This actually happened on the Memphis Mayfires War back in July. Um, but we were coming, ironically, coming up to the last day of the tour in Memphis. And we were pulling off the highway, and all of a sudden, we just lose all power to the rear wheels. And turns out we snapped the U-bolt on the back of the trailer or the back of the bus. And so we're pulled off on the side of the road. We actually had a guy come from the venue with the, um, with an SUV and take our trailer and three of us to the venue to start unloading everything and setting up. So we still made the show. Crazy thing was two days later, we were supposed to be in, or yeah, two days later, we were supposed to be in um, Wisconsin for Rockfest from Memphis, which is a 12 and a half hour drive, just about. Mm. Our bus was not going to be done in time. We couldn't find a rental like van or anything. So what we did is we got two Ford F-150s. We put the trailer on one of them and we put like the rest of the crew in the other one. And we drove after the show. So we stayed in the hotel overnight. The next day we got the vehicles and we drove from about 5 p.m. when we got the vehicles till 6 in the morning the next day. Rolled into to Rockfest at 6 a.m., got in there. I played that set. I think most of us played that set after being up for about 36 hours. Mm. So, But we still made the show, you know. Uh, well, being up for 36 hours and then putting on a show, and most of the people in that crowd probably had no idea what you guys had to go through in order to get there. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's very telling. There's a lot that happens behind the scenes, especially when it comes down to how the musicians make their money. Yeah. They're probably and, just looking at it and going, man, look at them. They all look tired and worn out. They probably spent the entire night partying with girls yeah. and stuff. And little do they know that you're like, they've been sweating for the past like 24 hours and no uh, sleep. And you're trying to figure out what's going to happen next. And you're getting gray hairs. That's the reality. Yeah, the the last two miles before you make it to the venue, you're pushing the vehicle yourselves <laughs> because it broke down again, you know, just to make it there. Jeez. Oh my gosh. That's about what it was gonna be like. We broke down a mile from the venue in Memphis. 
I'm just ah, like, man, that's crazy. Oh, almost made it. It's inevitable. <laughs> it's going to happen. It, it, yeah. it happens. But you guys pulled through, and that was the tail end of that leg of the tour with Red, right? No, that was the tail end of the Memphis Mayfire tour Ma- with uh, oh, right. them and Norma Jean and Secrets. Right, yeah. And Memphis Mayfire is not from Memphis. I, no, they're from a Nashville. Lot of people don't know that they're from Nashville. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's Excellent. a yeah, weird way to wrap up your tour if your first name is Memphis, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, they, they wrapped it up. At, that was what I hated about it. Not that I hated about it. I was just jealous that they finished the tour an hour from home. <laughs> yeah, like, very, very easy for them to, to get home after yeah. that. They didn't have to drive 36 yeah. hours to a different show and then exactly. however many hours back home for everybody. I know you guys are spread out a little bit. And a lot of bands yep. these days kind of are um, just because you can do so much over the internet these days and keep up mm-hmm. on your stuff. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a whole new age for musicians. Um, I read something that said uh, Jarris Johnson was talking about how a band doesn't really exist anymore. It's two people writing music and then, you know, hiring people to fill out the spots you know the different instruments when you have to go play a show or go on tour or something and that's yeah, uh, pretty much how do you feel about that uh, i mean <clears throat> that's just kind of how it is in some bands you know like you've got and it, like it's not a it's it's not necessarily a bad thing either because like every band not every band has writers in the band you know some people are really good at learning whatever gets written and they'll love playing it. And there's the guys that want to have input that are very good at writing. And um, thankfully, like in the band that I play in, it's pretty well spread out. Like we all like to equally put in what's going on. But I've definitely played in situations where it was just like, you know, like, you know, like, like Beartooth, for instance, like Caleb Shomo pretty much writes and records 90% of all the Beartooth songs. So like, it kind of happens like if if you're really good at it and it's selling records, keep going, you know. <laughs> and then and yeah. with that, like he's he's, I don't know like how their splits work and everything, but I'm sure he is making a crap load of money well, doing he's that. A very talented guy. Yeah, but as for all he has to as pay, for, pay out is performance credits, you know. So, yep, that's where it's at. As for your band, mm-hmm. though, you guys all write as equals. Yep, pretty much. Uh, For for anybody who's familiar with Saul, you will understand that. Uh, Andrew, Mm -hmm. I think I I went over it. I'm sorry, that was a bad one. I'll punish myself later. (laughs) Is it a song? (laughs) No, uh, we we call our fans our equals. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's kind of our thing. Yeah. Okay. That's a a great mindset to have, too, because a lot of times – uh, bands don't even treat other bands as equals <laughs> and it creates a lot of problems, mm-hmm. a, a lot of uh, drama when you can just be humble and recognize other people are playing music for a lot of the same reasons that you are. And why should they be treated differently? Oh, starting with the, fired? The, the beef on the what? podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I just had to throw that out there. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, definitely. No, like you're you're absolutely right, man. Absolutely right. It, it it makes a ton of difference when you can roll into a venue and like have an under, like have a mutual understanding across the board on like how everyone conducts themselves. Like everyone knows what's expected. Everyone's like 
you know, holding through their set times to getting on and off stage real quickly. Like it's when every band works in tandem, like a touring band, like a professional touring band. And like, that's, those are the best shows, you know, all the way around. They're the best shows. Yep. Everybody pulling their weight. Yeah, exactly. That's when it really comes together and, you know, becomes something a little bit more than just your standard guitar player getting drunk and playing a show in front of people just to satisfy himself. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Those, as bands guys, do. As bands do. As bands those guys do. don't get very far though. So, mm-hmm. you know, the cream rises to the top as they say, and, mm-hmm. you know, that's the people who work hard and that's yeah. the people who uh, do anything that they can to make it happen. So, uh, yeah, at this point, um, so uh, we'd like to talk a little bit about um, your uh, your studio, um, your productions, you know, if you want to let anybody know about uh, the services that you offer. Um, I, I know that I have gladly taken advantage of them several times because you're awesome. You're very incredibly yeah. talented. And so, yeah, you want to speak to that oh. a little bit? Yeah, no, man, it's been it's been a pleasure working with you, man. You're an awesome dude, an awesome client. All the all the songs have come out super freaking sick. <laughs> Especially that that like EP that we worked on, that was that was sick. Um, but yeah, no, I I've got my Vigilante Production Studio here. Um, if I could pull my laptop around and show you everything, I would. But I do I do production all the way from from just like giving you like some riff ideas all the way up to writing out the entire track with you to completely finishing it and mixing and mastering it and giving you a final product. Um, I'm working with a band called seven out of Louisiana right now doing their whole album. Um, ah, so with, with three V's, right? With three V's. Yep. Yes. Yep. Seven familiar. Yeah. They're they've been incredible. They've been awesome. I've actually got a track I have to work on starting next week that they just, uh, hired me to do that we're adding on to the album. So, um, but no, I, I don't really, I'm really bad at like talking about myself like in the, in the word sense, but, uh, no, like I, uh, if you hit me up and you want to, you want to work on some music and make some really cool tracks, like that's, that's what I do. Like I don't really specialize in any certain genres. Like I love writing metal. I love writing heavy music, but I've worked on, um, I've worked on pop. I've worked on EDM. I did, I did an EDM remix album for a church. Uh, I've done country cool. tracks. Yeah, I've done country tracks, done indie tracks, alternative stuff. Mixed all those types of bands, hardcore tracks. Like I've, I've worked on a little bit of everything, but I, I do, I do kind of have my roots in the heavier genres, and uh, and kind of pop punk in those areas because I know that's, I know how it sounds to me, and I know how I like it to sound. So it's not really I have to learn how to mix a certain genre. I just already kind of know how to do it. So, but yeah. Um, Anything where I get to be creative, I I love doing it. I don't like people who are just like, well, I'm not going to say I don't like them, but like I prefer to work on projects where I get to like have some creative control, you know, because that's where I'm just like, all right, I get to kind of throw my flavor on this and it's not just me reading from a sheet on how you want this to sound. Like if you're hiring me, I want you to hire me because you want it to sound like what I put out. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to be like, Hey, um, we want you to make this sound like a Joel Wanasek mix. Okay, then hire Joel Wanasek. <laughs> no, like, people can afford that though. He's 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 the top of his game. The top, top of his game, but 
yeah, 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 and that's what I that's what I kind of try to like try to um, try to um, explain when people kind of come to me and they want me to sound they want my mixes to sound like someone else's mixes. Like I, I'm not gonna be able to do that too well because I I'm not them. You know, like I can try to get close, but it's not gonna sound like that because you know I've got an interface and some plugins. I don't have you know a hundred grand of outboard gear. <laughs> Yeah, you can't take like that on the road with you. So why why have you it? Can't, no, no, I've got plugins and like my these things have been like game changers. These Slate VSX headphones, like they model a bunch of different rooms. Like I can do a car test sitting here, pretty much. I can see what they sound like on a boombox. I can hear it in like a concert venue. Like it's pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. They got the near rooms, the far rooms, like the mids and the speakers. Like it's pretty crazy. But uh, so I mean that helps with all that. But like, anyways, um, yeah, this is what I do. <laughs> this is what I do. Like I, I love writing music. I love being creative. So if you want to, if you want to get that done, that sounds like what's something you want to do. Then let's do it. Yeah, and anybody that's looking for that kind of work and needs a helping hand, would definitely point you in miles direction. We're going to, uh, link, um, your stuff in the show description. So, uh, everybody can find it there. And, uh, and yeah, is there, uh, is there anything else, uh, you want to, uh, talk about promote before we, uh, wrap things up? Oh, just the fact that we're going back out on the road with our dudes in red, uh, next month again on the third. Um, we're going to be hitting pretty much everywhere from Michigan all the way down to Texas and, over to Florida, and I think the tour—I believe the tour—ends in Atlanta. So, if you're anywhere near those, anywhere near those dates, um, check out Saul Band official uh, the website. Uh, just Saul Band on any of the socials—you know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter—to check out all the tour dates. You can find them on Red's page as well. Uh, but I just—I uh, look forward to seeing you at a show. Excellent. Yeah, I know I'm gonna be at the Dallas one, like I, like I mentioned. Um, yeah. Thing. So, uh, uh, anybody who's nearby, any one of those tour spots, definitely go check it out. You will not be disappointed. And so, yeah, at this point I am going to, uh, I'm going to ask Andrew, uh, to give you our final question. The final question is the most important question. It is. Don't it is mess the it question up. That, that is at the top of everybody's list that they want to know. You know, curious minds really want to know this, especially about you, Miles. Oh. Pancakes or waffles? Oh, waffles. <laughs> yes. Dude, easy question. Dude, <laughs> I know, sauces, right? Little, little syrup po- po- pockets, dude. Come on. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> syrup, syrup cups are all symmetrical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pop, oh, I like see, those. waffles are good for the OCD brain, you know, because mm. <laughs> they're just, just little boxes, little nice little squares. And I'm just like, I can just. You can fill each one of them individually or you can yeah, make a design yeah. if you wanted to. <laughs> That's what it is. It's, it's like it's like ASMR, you know, yeah. so you just watch you just watch the syrup just slowly fill up all the pockets. It's just. Oh, man. It's That's a good idea for a side hustle. <laughs> WSMR ASMR Waffle ASMR Perfect No, I've never seen chicken and pancakes So I mean uh, Yeah, that's the truth Let's roll off the tongue No, No. truth You're you're definitely right there Chicken and waffles is where it's at 
And I Shaking think most people uh, kind of agree that, but uh, we're we're gonna put a poll um, in the Spotify um, of this particular episode, so everybody can tell us whether they prefer waffles or pancakes. And if you prefer mm-hmm. waffles, you can tell us why. If you prefer pancakes, you can explain why you're wrong. And, <laughs> <laughs> just go from there. Um, but yeah, Miles, thank you so much for being on the show with us. We really, really appreciate it. We were very interested in the insight that you had to share with everybody and just how you kind of rose up from all of those smaller side hustle jobs into working music uh, as as your day job. So, you know, um, definitely a lot of teachable moments that we can pass on to our viewers and anybody interested in making music their livelihood so once again thank you so much for being on yeah thank you and thank you appreciate you being such a good you know person to deal with all of my crap (laughs) (laughs) all of my funny little dad jokes you know it's like (laughs) these could possibly piss somebody off but you've been a really good sport (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I really, I really, really appreciate you guys having me on. This has been an incredible, uh, incredible end to my Friday evening and uh, my first like, real interaction with people all day. So this has been nice. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks again for uh, thanks again for being on. And uh, until next time, this is the Gig Money Podcast. I am Cody. And I'm Andrew. And we'll see you guys next time. So then, so then.